Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Ramanaya. Uh, namaskaram. Today I will continue talking about verse 3 of Amabide, but before I do so, there are, um, there are a couple of questions from uh, the, uh, last month's meeting that I wasn't able to, there wasn't time for me to reply to, so I will first reply to these two questions and then take up uh, verse 3, uh, continue talking about verse 3 of Amabide. Um, of the two questions, I'll talk about the first, the second one first. That is, someone had written, uh, I tried to deny all other interests, and as not doing good result, I realize willpower is of no use against the unreal. It is like being trapped in quicksand. Moving also keeps me trapped. So gently trying to hold on to I am. Everything that rises is out of my concern, but I seem to fall into a trap of ignoring what needs to be done, like things that fall into my head when reject. Um, the wording is not very clear, but, but I get the gist of it. Um, <clears throat> that is, if we forcibly try to not take interest in the things that interest us, we are just setting as Bhagavan used to say, we cannot control the mind by thought. We cannot, because if we try to control the mind by thought, we are setting one thought against another thought. So Bhagavan said the mind can never be controlled or curbed by a thought. So if we think I shouldn't be interested in all these things I'm interested in, we are we are then setting up, we are trying to, we 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 are using thought to try to deny thought. So this is, it's counterproductive. This is what Bhagavan said about yoga. Yoga, the aim of yoga, of classical, Patanjali's classical yoga, is chitta, that is, at the beginning of the Yoga Sutra, Patanjali uh, defines yoga by saying, yoga's chitta vritti nirodaha. That means yoga is, um, uh, uh, restraining or stopping or curbing uh, chittabritti. Chittabritti means the mental activity. In other words, thinking, trying to stop thinking, that is yoga. Or, or the aim of yoga is to stop thinking. Because we cannot stop thinking by thinking, we have to use, in order to stop thinking, uh, yoga gives a, 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 a means to stop thinking. That is uh, pranayama, uh, breath control. This is why whenever Bhagavan writes about um, about uh, yoga, whenever he talk, talks about yoga, the main thing he talks about is pranayama, because that's the, the print, though yoga is, is said, is that the yoga of Patanjali has eight limbs. It's called ashtanga uh, yoga. Ashtanga means eight limbs. Um, the and one of those eight limbs is pranayama, but pranayama is the key limb because that is the since the aim of yoga is to stop mental activity. Uh, the only means to stop mental activity that yoga gives is to the control of the breath. All the other so all the other means are supplementary. The principal uh, uh, technique of yoga is breath control. So whenever Bhagavan talks about yoga, as he does, for example, in verses eleven to. 
15 of uh, all the to 14 of uh, Upadesha Undia or Upadesha Saram, as he does in the eighth paragraph of Nana, as he does in uh, Arunacha Pancharatnam in the um, third verse, fourth, sorry, fourth verse of Arunacha Pancharatnam. The main thing he talks about is about pranayama, because pranayama is a means to uh, to restrain the mind, to stop the mind, stop mental activity. But as Bhagavan made clear in Nana, by by means of pranayama, we can only if we stop all mental activity by means of pranayama, that results in manolaya, not in manonasa. Manolaya means temporary dissolution of mind, like sleep. Manonasa means the permanent dissolution or destruction of the mind. <clears throat> so it's why I say that now is we can't we can't control our mind by by merely by thought. So yoga gives the technique of um of pranayama, but that doesn't lead us to the final goal, which is men destruction of mind. So Bhagavan says this pranayama is not necessary, but there's a means by which we can stop all mental activity. Um, and bring about in in such a way that mind will never rise again. In other words, we can bring about. There's a means to bring about manonasa. That means is self investigation by attending to ourself. Though the aim, the aim, our aim in self investigation is not to stop thoughts. Our aim in self investigation is only to know what we actually are, to be aware of ourselves as we actually are. That is what we are what we are aiming for when we investigate ourselves. We're trying to be aware of ourselves as we actually are. But a byproduct of that is all mental activity will thereby cease. Because mental activity means thoughts or thinking. Thinking can thoughts can rise only in our awareness. So if we do not attend to thoughts, they cannot arise. So in self-investigation, we are turning our mind, our attention away from all thoughts back towards ourself. So by turning our attention back towards ourself, we are thereby depriving thoughts of the attention that they need in order to rise and flourish. So the, the mental activity stops automatically as a result of self-investigation. Self-investigation means self-attentiveness, attending to ourself alone. So this is the means by which Bhagavan, that Bhagavan has given us to, to it, as I say, it's not the principal aim, but if we want to stop thinking, if we want to stop mental activity, this is the best means. The only alternative is pranayama, or obviously we can take some drugs, take some sleeping tablets, then we, we fall asleep and all mental activity stops. But other than by, by drugs or some other physical means, the only options are either pranayama or self-attentiveness. But pranayama leads only, like drugs and so on, pranayama can only lead to a temporary dissolution of the mind, manolaya, Whereas uh, Atmavichara, self-investigation, will bring about manonasa, mano the permanent dissolution of the mind. So the mind will dissolve in such a way that it will never rise again. So uh, we, if we try to forcibly stop the mind taking interest in things that it takes interest in, we are just setting up one thought against another. That is futile. And so Bhagavan never recommended that. By 
practicing self-attentiveness, we are slowly weaning the mind off its other interests. So we, we need not try to force ourselves to give up interest in other things. The more we take interest in knowing and being what we actually are, the more our interest in other things will naturally wane. So all we have to do in Bhagavan's path is try more and more to be self-attentive. We we won't we unless we are we have very very great love to um, surrender ourselves completely. We won't be able to hold on to self attentiveness uninterruptedly. We should try to hold on to it uninterruptedly, but we won't be able to do so unless we have sufficient love to do so. Uh, because in order uh, attending to ourselves is surrendering ourselves, because to the extent to which we attend to ourselves, to that extent does ego subside. So we cannot surrender ourselves, sorry, we cannot investigate ourselves or attend to ourselves without thereby surrendering ourselves. As Bhagavan makes clear in so many ways, for example, in verse 26 of Vuludranapadu, he says, if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. Hande undain anetam undahum. Then in the next sentence, he says, If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. Ego itself is everything. Therefore, know that investigating what this is, is giving up everything. Investigating what this is means investigating what this ego is. Why is investigating what ego is giving up everything? Because to the extent to which we attend to ourselves, um, we thereby, uh, we thereby, uh, we, we, we as ego thereby subside. And uh, when ego subsides, everything subsides along with it. Because as Bhagavan said in the first two sentences of that verse, if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. So by attending to ourselves, we bring about the subsidence and eventual dissolution of ego. And to the extent that ego subsides and dissolves, everything else just subsides and dissolves along with it. Why? Because everything else exists only in the view of ego. So in order to go deep in this practice of self-investigation, we need to have the love to surrender ourselves completely and surrendering ourselves completely means surrendering everything giving up everything so we need great love to go within this love when we start off on this path our love is insufficient if our love was sufficient we would we, we would like like bhagavan because bhagavan had sufficient love as soon as that fear of death came to him he turned his attention within and immediately dissolved forever back into his source that wasn't Bhagavan who turned his attention in. That was that ego that was aware of itself as I am Venkaraman was a highly mature soul. So it turned its attention within, thereby merged back into its source. And then what remained shining through that name and form is Bhagavan. <clears throat> so um, because we don't have sufficient love yet, we are not able to hold on to self-attentiveness uninterruptedly. But the more we attend to ourselves, the more our vishaya vasanas, our inclinations to attend to anything else, 
will uh, weaken and our satvasana, but love to attend to ourselves, will get stronger. Uh, so by attending to ourselves, we are slowly weaning the mind off its vishaya vasanas, it's in, the interest it takes in anything other than itself. So this is a very gentle part. So what this person wrote is, um, if we struggle against these, um, against all the, that our mind has so many interests in so many things that are going on around in the world and this and that, and, and in the taking care of this body and the health of the body and in our, um, in our financial position and uh, job security and this and that and our family and our dependence and all these things. We, we, we naturally, so long as we are strongly identified with this body, we naturally have interest in so many other things. But to the extent to which we turn our attention within and persevere in practicing self-attentiveness, our interest in other things will grow weaker. It'll grow, it'll be less strong. So we are gradually weaning the mind off its interest in other things. If instead of doing that, if we try to fight against these things, as he very aptly, uh, this person very aptly wrote, it is like being trapped in quicksand. The more we move, the more we sink into a quicksand. So that's not the way. That's why Bhagavan's path is, the, is a very gentle path, the path of gently holding on to our own being, I am. The more we gently hold on to our own being, more everything else will drop off automatically. The interest that we have in other things, our desires, our attachments, our hopes, our fears, all these will drop off automatically to the extent to which we hold on to self-attentiveness. So this is a Bhagavan's path is an extremely practical path. And the practical path is not a path of fighting against anything. It is the lovingly holding on to our own being, knowing that what is shiny in our heart, as I am, is Bhagavan himself. So if we have love for Bhagavan, we try to hold on to that I am, in other words, our own being. And to the extent that we hold on to our own being, all interest in other things will, will naturally drop off. So this is the gentle path that Bhagavan has taught us. So this is the, we, 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 there's no point in fighting against our other interests because we, we can't give up interest in something just by trying not to be interested in it. If something interests us, it interests us. But if we take more and more interest in knowing and being what we actually are, in taking interest in that means turning our attention back to ourselves, trying to see what we actually are, all other interests will grow weaker and weaker and will eventually drop off entirely. So I hope this is a helpful answer to that question. The other question was a question asked by Rajat. This is a very good question. What he says is, you say knowledge of ourself does not involve triads. Is that only after realization or is it true even during practice of Atmavachara? It is true even during the practice of Atmavachara, as I will explain. But first, for those who are not uh, familiar with this, what is meant by triad here in this context is what in Sanskrit is called Triputi and in Tamil called Mupadi. That is the three factors of any objective knowledge. In other words, the knower, the but in other words, the knower, I mean, the one who knows, 
what the known, whatever is known, and the means by which it is known. So, for example, if we see a tree, we who see the tree are the knower. The, the tree that we see is the object known. And the means by which we, we know that tree is we know it by seeing it. So seeing is the means, the, the, what is uh, seen or known is the tree, what knows or sees it is I, the, the, the one who, ourself, we ourselves are the knower. As Bhagavan explains in verse, um, verse 9 of, of Uludunapadu, um, he uses two words here, irite gal and muparigal. Irite gal means pairs. Here it refers to pairs of opposites, like existence, non-existence, knowledge, ignorance, awareness, non-awareness, um, happiness, misery, um, life, death, um, good, bad. All these are pairs of opposites. And all... so. Pairs of opposites are irritable, and muprigal means these, uh, this triad, this three factors of any objective knowledge, the knower, the known, and the means of knowing it. Um, so what he says is, uh, that is, these dyads and triads, that is, I, the pairs of opposites I refer to here as dyads, and the three factors of objective knowledge as triads. So dyads and triads exist, exist always holding one thing. So what is that one thing Bhagavan is talking about here? What is the one that is, dyads are things known by us. So they are, dyads are one of the three uh, members of the triad because they are, the dyads are included among the things that are known. Um, uh, and the knower is ourself as ego, and uh, the means of knowing, well, there are so many different means of knowing. We know some things by seeing, some things by hearing, some things by um, by reading about them, some things by memory, some things by um, by uh, testimony. We, we, we hear news reports, for example. We trust it to trustworthy news outlet so we, we we believe it because it's uh, we we believe it's reliable testimony we we are not present at the uh, whatever has happened but we read about it in the newspapers or watch it on television and so we believe it because of a testimony um so or some things we know by inference we don't know there are many things that we cannot know directly but we can know by by inferring them so there are so many means of knowing but <clears throat> what bhagavan means by saying the diet and tribes hold on to one thing he means they they depend upon ego they are, why are they dependent upon ego because ego is the knower <clears throat> with um there could not be anything known without a means of knowing it. So everything known depends upon the means of knowing it. And there could not be anything, any means of knowing anything or anything known if there was not a knower. So the knower is what is most essential. Without a knower, there would neither be a means of knowing anything nor anything known. 
So the one thing on which dyads and triads depend is the knower, namely ego. That is uh, one member, one of the three members of the triad is ego. That is what they all, all everything else depends on. In sleep, we do not rise as ego, so we are not. Uh, we do not experience any dyads. We don't experience any pairs of opposites. We don't experience knowledge or ignorance. We don't experience. Um, existence or non-existence we don't experience i mean as pairs of opposite that is we don't experience um uh, pleasure or pain we don't experience life or death uh, because these are all these all appear only when we rise as ego likewise with the triads we don't in sleep because we haven't risen as ego we're not aware of any objects and because we're not aware of any object, there's no means of knowing them. So in, in sleep is a state devoid of dyads and triads. But as soon as we rise as ego in waking or dream, we experience dyads and triads. So dyads and triads depend upon our self as ego. And then he goes on to say, if one sees within the mind what that one thing is, they will slip off. What is the one thing? It's ego. So if we see within the mind what ego is, they will slip off. That means the dyads and triads will slip off. Why will the dyads and triads slip off? Because we seem to be ego so long as we're looking outwards, away from ourself, at anything other than ourself. But when we turn our attention back within to see what we ourselves actually are, ego will subside. And when ego subsides, everything known by it will also subside. That's what Bhagavan means by saying the dyads and triads will slip off if we look within the mind to see what that one thing is, to see what ego is. So to the extent to which we attend to ourself, but now we seem to be ego, so to the extent to which we attend to ourself, we as ego will thereby subside, and to the extent that we as ego sub, uh, subside, everything else will slip off. And then he goes on to say, only those who have seen have seen the reality. That, that means those who have, it can mean one of two things, those who have seen the non-existence of ego will see the reality, or those who have seen, um, who, who have experienced the slipping off of all these, uh, these dyads and triads have seen the reality, both amount to the same thing. Um, they will not be confused. So long as we rise as ego and experience all these dyads and triads, we're in a state of confusion. Because these dyads and triads don't actually exist. They seem to exist only because we've risen as ego. And ego itself is a confusion. Because ego, ego is nothing but the false awareness, I am this body. I am is something different, the body is something different. But we, we conflate these two together. So ego is itself a confusion. But when we look within the mind to see what this ego is, Ego will subside and dissolve back into its source, and thereby will be free of all, and dives and triads will cease to exist along with it, and therefore will be free of all confusion. So <clears throat> the important point to note here, he says, is if one sees within the mind what that one thing is, they will slip off, the dives and triads will slip off. So how is that relevant to this question? The question is whether knowledge of ourself does not involve triads, whether that is true only after realization, or is it true even during practice? 
it is true even during practice because to the extent to which we attend to ourselves, the dyads and triads will thereby slip off and we alone will remain. In self-attentiveness, who is the one attending and who, what is attended to? The one who is attending is ourself. And what is attended to is ourself. In other words, we are what we are attending to is only ourself. So we who are attending and we who are attended to are one and the same thing. So there, there's no there's no there's no distinction there between subject and object. That is what it the knower is the subject. Everything known is objects, but there's no such distinction in self-investigation because the, what is what we are trying to know is only the reality of the knower. So there are not two things there. The I who is attending and the I that is attended to are one and the same I. In other words, we're attending only to ourselves. So this the, the knowledge of ourself does not involve triads is true not only after realization, it's also true to the extent to which we attend to ourselves during the practice of Atma Vichara. Um, <clears throat> because um, that, that, that is, we can never know ourselves as an object. So when we're attending to ourselves, we're not attending to any object, we're attending to the subject. Or if we go deeper, we'll understand we're not even attending to the subject. What we're attending to is the reality that underlies the subject. The subject is ego, the false awareness, I am this body. The reality of ego, the reality of the subject, is the pure awareness, I am. So that is what we are attending to. So that is our own reality. So we're not attending to anything other than ourselves, but only to what we actually are. In other words, we're attending only to ourselves. So they in self-attentiveness, the, the knower and the known are one and the same thing. And even the knowing, the means of knowing it, how do we know ourselves? We can know ourselves only by being ourselves. As Bhagavan says in verse 26 of Upadesha Undia, Tanai irtle tanai aridlam. Knowing oneself, sorry, being oneself alone is knowing oneself. Because oneself is devoid of two. That is, they're not two selves, one self to know the other self. The self that is investigating itself is itself the self that is being that it is investigating. So they're one. And and we know us, we, we can attend to ourselves or know ourselves only by being ourselves. In other words, by not rising as being ourself means not rising as ego. Of course, we are always ourselves. Even when we rise as ego, we are ourselves. But when we rise as ego, we seem to be something other than what we actually are. So in order to be as we actually are, we need to cease rising as ego. We can cease rising as ego only by holding on to self-attentiveness. To the extent to which we hold on to self-attentiveness, the the knower subsides and everything else, and the knowing and the uh, and the known subside along with it, or all become one in, in the state of pure self-attentiveness. Right? Because the state of perfect self-attentiveness is itself the state of pure awareness. Because pure awareness means awareness that is aware of nothing other than itself. So it is even during practice that we, 
we, we are going beyond the, the triads. As Bhagavan often used to say, if the, if the nature of the path were other than the nature of the goal, the path couldn't lead to the goal. So there's a verse in Guru Bhatshika Kovai in which Bhagavan says, oneself alone is the, um, the, the, the means and oneself alone is the end. Uh, he says. So what, what we are what we are seeking to know uh, um, is ourself, and the means to know ourself is ourself. So it's uh, we if if we if the practice was not taking us if the practice involved a triad then it couldn't lead to the state devoid of triads. So this, this practice leads us unfailingly to a goal because the goal is the state beyond triads, the state of oneness, perfect oneness. And, and so the means can only be the state of perfect oneness. That is why this practice of self-attentiveness or Swarupa Dhyana or Atma Vichara that Bhagavan taught us, this alone is the true Advaita Abhyasa, the true practice of Advaita. Because if you've got, if your practice involves more than one thing, then it's not Advaita. Advaita means one only without a second, Ekameva Advaitiam. So the practice, the only practice that can lead to that experience of one only without a second, the experience that truth, but there's one only without a second, that practice itself must involve one only without a second. And that practice is the simple practice of self-attentiveness. So I hope this adequately answers those uh, two questions. Um, now I'll, um, unless anyone has any other questions, I'll return to what I was discussing last time, which is the what Bhagavan says in verse three of Anmavide. Just to recap, what, uh, what Bhagavan says in verse 3 of Anmavide is, without knowing oneself, if one knows whatever else, so what? If one has known oneself, then what exists to know? When one knows oneself, no, sorry, when one knows in oneself that self, which is the light without separation in separate living sentient beings, Within oneself, the shining of oneself will flash forth. This is the shining forth of grace, the annihilation of ego, the blossoming of happiness. So what he implies by this is, without knowing oneself, if one knows whatever else, so what? What is That is, how can such knowledge be reliable or how can it have any real value? If we don't even know the reality of the knower, how can we know the reality of anything else? In other words, uh, uh, if one has known oneself, then what else exists to know? The, the that's a rhetorical question. The implication is that if once we know ourselves, there's nothing else that needs to be known. That no nothing else exists to know. And then he goes on to say, when one knows in oneself, that self, that self here refers to our real nature, Atmosarupa, which is the light that shines abhinna, that means without separation, uh, in, separate living, in separate sentient beings or souls, within oneself, Atma Prakasa, 
shining clarity or light of oneself will flash forth like lightning. This is Arul Vilasa, the shining forth amorous play or beauty of grace. Aha Vinasa, the annihilation of ego. Imba Vikasa, the blossoming of happiness. Therefore, are extremely easy. Uh, knowing oneself are extremely easy. So I was in the middle of explaining this. So the main thing I was explaining was these first two sentences in which Bhagavan says, without knowing oneself, if one knows whatever else, so what? If one has known oneself, what exists to know? So in that context, I was explaining the verses in Uludunapadu in which Bhagavan um, talks about um, um, the verses um, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, in which he talks about um, what is true knowledge, what is true awareness. Because that, that clarifies what he means in these first two sentences of this verse. So I'd already explained verse 9 of Upadeshu, as I explained again today when answering those questions. Last time I'd completed explaining about verse 10. So now I'm going to proceed from verse 11 of Uludunapadu. Um, when we know ourselves as we actually are, knowledge and ignorance about everything else will cease to exist. That's the central message in this verse. Since being aware of ourself alone is real uh, awareness, being aware of anything else is not real awareness, but only ignorance, as Bhagavan says explicitly in verse 11 of Uludunapadu. Um, what he says in verse 11 is, Arivu urum tanne ariyadu, ayale arivadu ariyame. That means not knowing oneself, or without knowing oneself, or instead of knowing oneself, um, who knows? Knowing other things is ignorance. Andri uh, Aribo, uh, besides, is it knowledge? That's a very emphatic way of saying it is not at all knowledge, it's only ignorance. So knowing anything other than ourselves is only ignorance. Uh, in, so instead of knowing ourselves, we uh, we are now knowing so many other things. Uh, knowing ourselves means knowing what we actually are, knowing our own reality. Instead of knowing that, we are now knowing so many other things. But what we take to be knowledge is actually only ignorance, according to Bhagavan. And then he goes on to say, when one knows oneself, the support for knowledge and the other, knowledge and ignorance will cease. That is, when we know ourselves, our, our, our self, the support for knowledge and the other means the support for knowledge and ignorance. What is the support for knowledge and ignorance? It's only ego, because all knowledge and ignorance exists only for ourself as ego. So when he says when one knows oneself, he implies when we know the reality of ourself, the reality of ego, who is the support for knowledge and ignorance, knowledge and ignorance will cease to exist. That is, knowledge and ignorance of things other than ourself seems to exist only when we when we rise and stand as ego. But when we know our own reality, we will thereby cease to be ego, because ego is nothing but the false awareness, I am this body. This body is not what we actually are, 
But so long as he raises ego, we always identify ourselves with a body. We always experience ourselves as if we are a body. So that is a false awareness, a wrong awareness of ourselves. So how can we get rid of the wrong awareness of ourselves? This wrong awareness of ourselves is what is called avidya. We can get rid of it only by correct awareness of ourselves, by vidya. So when we know ourselves as we actually are, when we know the reality of ourselves, who have a support for knowledge and, and ignorance, knowledge that support for knowledge and ignorance, namely ego, will cease to exist, and knowledge and ignorance will cease along with it. This is what Bhagavan implied in verse 9 when he said, um, if one sees within the mind what that one thing is, they will slip off. That is, uh, one of the things included among they is the dyads. And knowledge and ignorance is, a, is one of the dyads, one of the pairs of opposites. So they'll all, so this pair of opposites and all other pairs of opposites will slip off when we know ourselves as we actually are. Um, uh, so if we, a slightly um, paraphrased uh, version of what Bhagavan said in this verse, as I say, the basic meaning of the verse, not knowing oneself who knows, knowing other things is ignorance, besides is it knowledge. When one knows oneself, the support for knowledge and ignorance, knowledge and ignorance will cease. So what he implies by saying that is, instead of knowing the reality of ourself, in other words, the reality of ego, who knows everything else, knowing other things is ignorance. Knowing anything other than ourselves is ignorance. Except ignorance, is it knowledge? When one knows the reality of oneself, ego, who is the adhara, the base, uh, the, the support, foundational container for knowledge and ignorance, uh, knowledge and ignorance of all other things will uh, cease because the reality of ego is just pure awareness. So when one knows oneself is pure awareness, ego will no longer seem to exist. And hence all its knowledge and ignorance will cease to exist along with it. <clears throat> the full force and implication of the conjunction andri, uh, which means besides, except, or in some cases, but only, is often difficult to convey in English, uh, particularly when it is used in an interrogative sentence such as Andri Arivo, besides is it knowledge. In this case, when Bhagavan says, Ayale Arivadu uh, Ariyame, um, Andri Arivo, um, knowing other things is ignorance, besides is it knowledge, what he clearly and emphatically implies is that knowing other things is not knowledge, but only ignorance. Why does he say this? The reason is simple. As he says in the first sentence of the seventh paragraph of Nana, Yatatamai Ulludu Apmasarupa Mondre. What actually exists is only Apmasarupa. Apmasarupa means the real nature of ourself. In other words, ourself as we actually are. And in the first sentence of verse 13 of Uludunapadu, he says the same thing in other words, jnanamam tane me, oneself who is jnana alone is real. Jnana here means pure awareness. So oneself who is pure awareness alone is real. So nothing other than ourself is real. 
though other things seem to exist when we're aware of them, they do not actually exist. So they are just an illusory appearance, and hence being aware of them is not real knowledge, but only ignorance. Though he qualifies this statement that knowing other things is ignorance by adding before it the adverbial clause, arivu urum tane ariadu, not knowing oneself who knows, which implies not knowing ourself as we actually are, which is the reality of ourself as ego, who is what knows other things. This is not intended to limit the meaning of the main statement, but to enhance it by contrasting our abundant knowledge of other things with the sad fact that we do not even know what we ourselves actually are. That is, Aribu urum tane ariadu, ayale aribudu ariame, not knowing oneself who knows, knowing other things is ignorance does not imply that knowing other things is ignorance only if we do not know ourselves, because we know other things only when, only when and because we do not know ourselves as we actually are. <coughs> to clarify and emphasize this, in the next sentence he points out that knowledge and ignorance about everything other than ourselves will cease to exist when we know ourselves as we actually are thereby implying that we seem to have knowledge and ignorance about other things only because we do not know what we ourselves actually are. Arivu ayaku adara tane ariya, arivu ariyame arum. When one knows oneself, the support for knowledge and the other, knowledge and ignorance will cease. Ayale Arivataku Adharam, the support for knowledge and the other, is ego, because it is only in the view of ourself as ego that knowledge and ignorance about other things seem to exist. So when he says, Arivu Ayaku Adharatane Arya, when one knows oneself, the support for knowledge and ignorance, what he implies is, when one knows the reality of ego, who is the support of knowledge and ignorance. We seem to be, uh, we seem to be ego only so long as we are not aware of ourselves as we actually are. So when we know what we actually are, ego will cease to exist. And since ego is the adhara, support, foundation, ground or container for knowledge and ignorance about all other things, when it ceases to exist, they will cease to exist along with it. As he says in the final clause of this sentence, Arivu Ariyame Arum, knowledge and ignorance will cease. Um, he, so that's verse 11 of Uludhanapta that I've explained there. Uh, it's connection with the first two sentences of this um of this verse three of Anmavide should be clear because in the, uh, what he says in the first two sentences of this verse are um, uh, without knowing oneself, if one knows whatever else, so what? If one has no oneself, then what exists to know? That is, when we know ourselves as we actually are, knowledge and ignorance about all other things will will cease to exist. And what will remain is just the pure awareness, which is the only thing that actually exists, and that is what we actually are. Um, 
then in verse 12 of Uludnaptu, what Bhagavan implies is, since we as we actually are shine without any other thing to know, we alone are real awareness. That is, in the clear awareness of ourself as we actually are, there's nothing else for us to know. Therefore, real awareness is only pure awareness, which means awareness that is completely devoid of even the slightest knowledge or ignorance of anything other than itself, because nothing other than itself exists either for it to know or to not know, as Bhagavan clearly implies in verse 12 of Uludhanapadu. What he says in verse 12 is, Arivu Ariyameyum Atradu Arivu Ameyum. What is devoid of knowledge and ignorance is actually knowledge. Here, the word Arivu, which I've translated here as knowledge, it means knowledge, including knowledge in the sense of awareness. So when he says what is devoid of knowledge and ignorance is actually knowledge, what he means is the real awareness is only that awareness that is devoid of both knowledge and ignorance about anything other than itself. In other words, pure awareness alone is real awareness. Um, the, the knowledge and when he talks about knowledge and ignorance, he's obviously talking about knowledge and ignorance about things other than ourselves. Um, because the, the, the real knowledge, the real awareness is ever shining, never ceases to exist. And for it, since it never ceases to exist, it has no opposite. Since it alone is what actually exists, it has no opposite. So the, the, this diet of knowing and not knowing, that applies only to things other than ourselves. So what he means when he says, um, when he talks about knowledge and ignorance, he's talking about knowledge of other things or ignorance of other things. The real awareness is devoid of both. Why is it? To, it's not only devoid of knowledge of anything else, it's also devoid of ignorance of anything else. Why is it devoid of, devoid of ignorance of anything else? Because nothing else exists for it either to know or to not know. Then he goes on to say in this verse 12, that which knows is not real knowledge. That is, Ariyomadu, um, that which knows, Unme Aribu Ahadu. So that which knows is not real knowledge. Um, that which knows obviously is ego. So ego is not real knowledge, it's not real awareness. When one shines without, uh, sorry, since one shines without another for knowing or for causing to know, oneself is knowledge. One is not a void, no. Uh, that is what he says in Tamilis. Um, Aridaku, aribitaku, that is devoid, uh, that, that, okay. Aridaku, aribitaku, anyam indrai, uh, avivadal. Avivadal means since it shines, uh, indrai, without, uh, with, uh, indru means it's non-existent. So without any um, uh um, other thing, either to know or to cause to know or cause to be known, um, it's devoid of all of those. Uh, it means ourself, we ourselves, tan, tan arivahum, oneself alone is real knowledge. Oneself alone is knowledge. Knowledge here means it implies the real awareness. Um, 
uh, par Andrew, one, one is not a void. That what we actually are is not a void. Though it's devoid of everything unreal, it is the fullness of what is, it is the paripurna vastu, the fullness of what is real. So to call it void is not appropriate because it's only from the perspective of those who, in whose view other things seem to exist. But that state in which nothing else seems to exist seems to be a void. But actually, according to Bhagavan, it is not a void. Because what is, what is absent in that pure awareness is only knowledge of other things which don't actually exist at all. Um, uh, so it's not at all a void. It only seems to be a void from the perspective of those of us who see all this multiplicity and believe all this multiplicity and our knowledge of them or uh, of it is real. But since none of these things actually ever exist, we cannot say that what actually exists is empty, is void. Um, <clears throat> uh, so that's the meaning of this verse 12 of Uludunapadu. Uh, I'll just go through the meaning once more. What is devoid of knowledge and ignorance is actually knowledge. That which knows is not real knowledge. Since one shines without another for knowing or for causing to know, oneself is knowledge. One is not a void. No. Uh, that is, know that. Um, <clears throat> uh, since ego is just a false awareness of ourself, an awareness of ourself is something other than what we actually are, it will cease to exist only when we are aware of ourselves as we actually are. And since it is the adhara or support for both knowledge and ignorance about all other things, when it ceases to exist, they will cease to exist along with it. What will then remain is only pure awareness, which is awareness that is, there, that is therefore completely devoid of both knowledge and ignorance about all other things. And this alone is real awareness or true knowledge, as he implies in the first sentence of this verse, Arivu Ariyameyum Atradu uh, Arivu Amei. What is devoid of uh, knowledge and ignorance is actually knowledge. As he said in the previous verse, knowing or being aware of anything other than ourself is not real knowledge or awareness, but only ignorance. From this we can infer that ego, which alone is what knows or is aware of all other things, is likewise not real awareness, chit, but only a semblance of awareness, a likeness of awareness, chitabhasa, as he implies in the second sentence of this verse, ariyam uh, adu unme aribu ahadu, that which knows or is aware, implying aware of anything other than itself is not real uh, knowledge or awareness, Aribu. Therefore, since awareness is not what knows, sorry, since real awareness is not what knows or, or, or is aware of anything other than itself, it must be what knows or is aware of nothing other than itself. And this is what he implies in the third sentence of this verse, since oneself, the real nature of oneself, shines without another for knowing or for causing to know, 
oneself is real awareness. That is, in the clear view of ourself as we actually are, nothing other than ourself exists for us to know, cause to know, or cause to be known. So we alone exist and shine without even the slightest trace of any knowledge or ignorance of anything else. And hence, we alone are real awareness. What Bhagavan says in verse um, verse uh, 12 of Uladunapadu, he also repeats in almost identical words, at least the first sentence, almost identical words, in verse 27 of Rupadesha India. The implication of this verse is real awareness is devoid of both knowledge and ignorance of anything other than itself, because there's nothing other than itself for it either to know or to not know. The fact that real awareness is devoid of both knowledge and ignorance of anything other than itself, because there's nothing other than itself for it either to know or to not know, is also stated by Bhagavan in verse 27 of Rupadesha Undiya. Uh, what he says in this verse is, Arivu Ariyameum Atra Arive Arivahum. That means <clears throat> only not. Only knowledge that is devoid of knowledge and ignorance is knowledge. That implies only knowledge in the sense of awareness that is devoid of knowledge and ignorance of anything other than oneself is real knowledge or awareness. Um, uh, uh, Unmeidu, this is, uh, this is real or this is the reality, this is what, what actually exists. Um uh Ari Ari Andru there is not anything for knowing. Uh when he said there's not anything for knowing, what uh, or when he said this is real, there is not anything for knowing, what he implies is this alone is what is real. That is the state in which there's no neither knowledge nor ignorance of anything other than ourselves. That alone is the reality, because in the clear view of ourself as pure awareness, there's not anything other than ourself, uh, either for us to know or to not know. Um, what we actually are is only pure awareness, in the clear view of which there's nothing else for us either to know or not know. So as, so as such, we are devoid not only of any knowledge or awareness of anything other than ourselves but also of any ignorance of any such thing. Therefore, pure awareness alone is real awareness. Being aware of anything uh, other than ourself is not real awareness, but only ignorance, because nothing other than ourself actually exists. So when we know anything else, what we are knowing is only a mental fabrication, kalpana, just like everything that we know in a dream. Um, <clears throat> though the real awareness that we actually are is completely devoid of both knowledge and ignorance of any other thing, it is not a void, sunya, but completely, but infinitely full, purna, being the fullness of Satchitananda. Since real awareness is thus completely devoid of even the slightest uh, knowledge or ignorance of anything else, in some philosophical systems, such as certain forms of Buddhism, it is said to be sunya, empty, void, or non-existent. 
But Bhagavan repudiates this idea by saying in the fourth sentence of the twelfth paragraph of, uh, sorry, fourth sentence of verse twelve of Uludanapadu, par Andrew. It is not par, emptiness, voidness, barrenness, dis dissolution, nothingness or non-existence. Thereby implying that though what we actually are is awareness that is completely devoid of even the slightest awareness or ignorance of anything else whatsoever, we are not thereby a void, because we are the only thing that actually exists. So we are the one infinite whole or prana, the fullness of Satchitananda, pure existence, sat, pure awareness, chit, and pure happiness, ananda. That is, a thing can be called empty or void only if there is something other than itself that it does not uh, contain. But so since other things seem to exist only in the view of ego, it is only from the perspective of ego that awareness devoid of knowledge and ignorance of all other things seems to be emptiness or void. In the clear view of ourself as we actually are, however, what actually exists is only ourself as pure awareness. So nothing other than ourself exists at all. And hence, there can be no such thing as sunyata, emptiness, voidness, or nothingness. Moreover, sunya means not only empty or void, but also non-existent. So the one real awareness that we actually are is not, uh, is not sunya, not only in the sense of empty or void, but also in the sense of non-existent, because it alone is what actually exists. So it is Uludu what exists, or Sat, pure existence, and hence it, it is the very antithesis of non-existence and could never become non-existent. I've I, I finished one hour talking now. Shall I continue for a little while longer, or is that the... Do we have more time? Uh, sir, uh, one hour would be ideal, but okay. of course, if there is any pending point, that may not well, take very they, long. They, Please feel free to continue. They, there's many more things to discuss, but I think we can keep them for next time. Very well, sir. Uh, would you like to conclude? Uh, yes, sir. Yes. Or? Well, I, that, okay. is, that is the conclusion. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arunachala Ramanaya.